Today's reading is from Colossians chapter 2. So in the Black Church Bibles, that's page 1677. So that's Colossians 2, starting at verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the element, elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Chocolate. Who likes chocolate? Harry, I do. You know, I don't know if you know this, but chocolate tastes, the chocolate in Australia tastes significantly different to the stuff that you get in the UK. But because I live here and that's all you can get here, um, Sharon and I and our family, we've got used to it over the years, you know, we've settled for the inferior products. Uh, and I, can't, I don't really, if I'm honest, I don't really notice anymore until, of course, I go back to visit family in the UK and then have the chocolate there and like, whoa, this is like fantastic, this is a different experience altogether. I'd forgotten, I find I'd forgotten how much better uh, English chocolate is. And so I don't take, when I go to the UK on holiday, I don't take Australian chocolate with me. I bring loads of English chocolate back with me instead. Because why would I want to go back to inferior chocolate when I can have the real deal? 
In today's passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to this young church planter at Colossae to give them a warning. He's really trying to put the wind up them. He's saying, you've tasted the best now. You have the real deal. You have life in Jesus. So don't go wasting your time with an inferior product, with inferior teaching. Today's passage is basically a compare and contrast, like we saw with the, in the kids' talk. Comparing the fullness and truth of knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior versus the emptiness and the deceit of false teaching. And verse 6 to 8 there summarize what we're looking at today. In fact, they summarize the whole letter, really. So the compare and contrast, we've got the good, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So you've got the good versus the bad. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. To summarize this letter, in fact, these verses are worth memorizing because they kind of summarize the Christian life, don't they? They're the best advice you will ever receive. And if you want to know what our growth groups are about, our home Bible studies, well, there it is in two sentences. This is what we're trying to do with our growth groups. Uh, if you want to do a little kind of spiritual audit on yourself to honestly evaluate yourself. Um, Ask yourself or ask a trusted, mature Christian to look at you through the filter of these two sentences. If you're brave. Two main points today. We've got them in your outline there. We have um, fullness in Christ and freedom in Christ. So first up then, fullness in Christ. We're looking at uh, verses Uh, 6 to 15 in this first half. So verse 6, we need to stick with Jesus and avoid the alternatives, ignore the alternatives. And we can do that because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Stick with Jesus because of who he is and what he has done. So verse 6 again, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue your lives Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. So remember from uh, chapter 1, the Colossians received Christ when, um, in chapter 1, verse 5, if you flip back there, they heard the true gospel message. They learned it from Epaphras, verse 1, verse 7. And last week, verse or, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, that Paul encouraged them that they have complete assurance of being reconciled with God, guilt-free, if they do not move from this hope held out in the gospel, this gospel they learned. So the gospel, message, the gospel is a message to be heard and learned so that whoever hears it might put their faith in Jesus. 
So that's not to say our evangelism, our sharing Jesus, is just an academic exercise of teaching a set of ideas or propositions about Jesus. It's not just telling a narrative for intellectual assent. What we're doing when we share Jesus, when we share the gospel, we're aiming to persuade people in their head, using all their faculties, and in their heart, in their will, that Jesus is their Lord and Saviour. And the way God has set things up for us to do that is to share the good news, the gospel, in words about Jesus. And when we do that, it doesn't, it can't be, it won't be cold and intellectual. Because we're talking about a real person and our good news that we know personally. So I could tell you um, about Vincent Company. This is Man City's captain. He scored the winning goal last Monday morning. I could tell you how he felt when he scored this amazing goal, really important one. But much more engaging, much more real, and yes, much more emotional, uh, was him telling the story after the game through tears. So the way uh, I try and preach here, the way we do music here, we never want to manipulate anyone with emotion. That, that's just not on our agenda at all. But being convicted of your sin and really hearing with your heart that God himself gave up his only son to save us, that's pretty emotional. We receive Christ through hearing the gospel and believing in, in Jesus that it tells us about. So let's give others the same chance. Share the gospel where we can. So we receive Christ, and then as we saw last week, uh, we don't go looking for anything new. We continue our lives in him, rooted in him. We want to keep growing and maturing in our faith, want to grow in our faith. But the way we do that is not to move on to somewhere new, but to deepen our roots in what we already have, in, in the faith as you were taught. So we keep returning to God's word, the Bible, which is ultimately all about Jesus. And there are all sorts of ways for you to do that. You can do it on your own, reading the Bible on your own. There are loads of apps you can do, yeah, put on your phone to help you do that, set up a plan for reading the Bible through the year or two years. Um, there are Bible reading notes you can use. You can read the Bible one-to-one -one with somebody. helps you, I think, just really think it through for your own life in a deeper level, a more sort of private level. And we have growth groups you can join where you can... Uh, read the word alongside other believers and discuss it and help each other apply it to your lives. See, the Bible is God's living word. You know, God speaks to us through us reading the Bible today. As you read it, ask God to use it to grow your roots in him, to build you up and strengthen you in your faith. And the result will be overflowing with thankfulness. And that's a, a great diagnostic tool for us, isn't it? Ask yourself this morning, how thankful am I?
It's a good tool to see if we're drifting away from the original gospel we first believed. If we're not very thankful, it's a sure sign that we've lost sight of God's grace. That we've lost sight of just how much we deserve judgment. But instead, we get the free gift of eternal life because Jesus gave himself up for us. And keeping returning to that good news, it guards our hearts from bitterness, from envy, from fear of missing out, because we overflow with thankfulness that we deserve death, but we get fullness of life. We can stick with Jesus because of who he is. Because of who he is. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So there's no need for the Colossians or for us to go looking for spiritual answers anywhere else. Because Jesus, the man, is fully God. And you can't get any more spiritual than that. We were reminded at men's conference yesterday that Jesus is on the throne over all authority in, all authority over in heaven and earth. And he's a human. There's a human being in charge of everything in the universe right now. And not only that, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness, it says. We've been embraced into Christ when we believed. We have everything that we need already. So any teaching that says you need more than Jesus is false teaching. Any teaching that says you need more than Jesus is false. He is the ultimate authority in all existence. He has the power and authority to give us everything we need for all of life, for now and for eternity. So we can stick with Jesus because of who he is and because of what he's done. Because of what he's done. So in verses 11 and 12, Paul uses the images of circumcision and baptism. So I never do hand signals when you're talking about circumcision. Hold on to this. Paul uses the images of circumcision and baptism to remind the Colossians of what is already true for them. So circumcision was performed on every Jewish male, and it was a permanent physical sign of covenant, so of an unbreakable promise between God and his people. When we come to faith in Christ, when we become in Christ, it's not just a small bit of flesh that is permanently changed. Our whole self that was ruled by the flesh was put off. So, but we were changed from the inside out at a heart and very nature of our being level. Now, you don't need me to tell you that we still sin. But our fundamental nature of being has changed. So where once sin ruled us and had some authority over us, where once before sin was where we were coming from, now that old person has gone. 
three or four years ago, I used to work as a radiographer at the RA, and the other day, my old boss from X-Ray rang, and he said, uh, look, Colin, we're short-staffed. Um, you're on call. You've got to come in. I said, no, I can't come in. I'm a pastor of a church now. He said, no, it doesn't matter. You're it. In you come. Now, of course, that didn't happen. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I, I, I've moved on, and he has no authority over me anymore. I don't have to do what he says. In any case, I'm not professionally registered to do that. My name is off those books. When we're saved, we are fundamentally in Christ. Our sinful self, when we sin, just making cameo appearances. Our sin no longer defines who we are. Jesus does. He's got real power and real authority to change us from the inside out. So they've got the circumcision picture and the baptism picture, verse 12, fleshes, <laughs> fleshes this out. Um, baptism doesn't actually physically make this happen, but baptism is a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality, that our old self is dead and buried and that we've been physically, spiritually resurrected already. Now, we don't always feel that way, but we have this new life. It's a spiritual reality, and we have, it by, we have this fullness by faith, by owning, by relying on the fact that Jesus has done it all for us and will keep transforming us. Verse 13, by faith, we have moved from being dead in our sin to being alive in, with Christ, completely forgiven. Any sin we ever have done or will do has been paid for in full. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So this morning, are you feeling guilty? Are you feeling far from God? Maybe you feel unworthy. Maybe you just feel like a rubbish Christian. Well, stay rooted and built up in this truth. See, God's enemy, Satan, loves to accuse us, loves to keep us wallowing in guilt. And it used to be, that Satan could accuse us before God and say we deserve, by God's own holy and perfect standards, that we deserve death. And it had been right. But now, Jesus has cancelled all that. Now Satan's weapon against us has been taken away. He's got nothing on us. So we don't need to put down roots anywhere other than Jesus to win at life. Jesus has already won for us. He's already begun his victory parade. Verse 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So stick with Jesus, knowing who he is and what he's done. Stick with Jesus, knowing who he is and what he's done. So we have fullness in Christ and we have 
Freedom in Christ. Next heading. Excuse me. So, the Colossian church has been infected. It's been infected with false teaching. You see, the Colossians are now, these Colossian believers are now truly, fundamentally as it matters most, they're free in Christ. They're free from guilt, free from fear of judgment. They aren't sin-free, but they are freed from sin's rule over them. So Paul warns them against letting anyone lead them back into acting like slaves with false teaching. So verse 16, don't let anyone judge you. Verse 18, don't let anyone disqualify you. In other words, don't have a bar of it. So what Paul does is a compare and contrast. He holds up the alternatives to sticking with Jesus to show just how inferior, inferior they are compared to the real deal. He does this. I've got just one more compare and contrast illustration, all right? This is uh, product versus pack shot, where they show you the outside of the box, what a meal's supposed to look like, and then what it actually looks like. So let's hope this works. That's all right. That's what it should look like. And there it is. Mmm. All right, so let's compare and contrast from these verses. Uh, So verse 8, based on Christ or based on something else? So the false teaching is hollow and deceptive, and it depends on humans or elemental spiritual forces. Now, it's a bit hard to know exactly what's meant by that, elemental spiritual forces, um, when you're stuck to know what something means like that, it's good to just look at the context around it, see if that tells you. Uh, so I think most likely in the context of chapter 1, verse 16, and chapter 2, verse 15, talking about power and authorities, Paul is probably referring to hostile spiritual beings. Uh, and we don't know exactly what the false teaching was. We've only got sort of Paul's rebuttal of it. In the end, it doesn't matter. What matters is is that this teaching tells you to depend on something or someone else other than Christ. So first contrast, based on Christ or based on something else. Next one, verse 16, shadows versus reality. So the false teaching is about, is about insisting on following rules about religion, religious observances. Maybe someone was coming in saying, look, this Jesus is, is all well and good, but are you sure that's enough? Surely there's something that we should be doing. The contrast is religious festivals and food, food rules were only a shadow. They were an image, a picture, pointing to the real thing. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So shadows versus reality. Um, it's like... Um, I can tell you this story because Sharon's not here. Sharon once took great pleasure. She had a box of Ferrero Rocher. 
She unwrapped each one very carefully. And once she'd eaten them, she put the wrapper back together and left a box there as if there was a full box of Ferrero Rocher and waited for me to go and grab an empty wrapper look for, and find the whole box was empty. No Ferrero Rocher left. Um, just insisting on religious observances. It's like taking the wrapper off those chocolates that we gave around and going, wow, what a great wrapper. I love Ferrero Rocher. And it, haven't they got a great wrapper? Missing and never eating the chocolate. Shadows versus reality. Um, in verse 18 and 19, puffed up versus solid. Puffed up versus solid. So whatever these false teachers are going on about, they delight in false humility, um, pretending to be humble, whereas in fact they want to make themselves look big and clever and super spiritual. And all this is from an unspiritual mind, so that they end up just full of meaningless hot air. But the teaching in church, in Christ's body, the gospel, comes from Jesus as head and results in solid spiritual growth from God. So compared with the freedom the Colossians have in Christ, this false teaching has nothing to offer. It's got the appearance of being the right thing to do, but all this rule-keeping just keeps them captive, judges them, and enslaves them. So a quick quiz. See if you can remember which book of the Bible these ideas or statements are in. Hate the sin, love the sinner. God will never give you more than you can handle. God works in mysterious ways. You've probably seen these on Facebook memes and stuff. Money is the root of all evil. And God helps those who help themselves. Any ideas? None of those things are in the Bible. Not one of them are in the Bible. I think they sound like they could be, don't they? We've got to be careful. We need to make sure that whatever teaching we follow isn't hollow and deceptive and merely human ideas, but is from Christ. And we do that by always checking it lines up with God's word in the Bible. And if it isn't, have nothing to do with it and don't let it judge you. Another question to ask of any teaching is, is it trying to add to Jesus, saying that you need something more than Jesus? Or is it trying to take away from Jesus, saying that you don't need him at all? Because if it is, then it's false and it will enslave you. And I think this is why Paul has got such a bee in his bonnet about rule keeping, about you don't need to keep rules. Because people use keeping rules to try and save themselves, believing it means they don't need Jesus because they've kept rules so well, or the rules add extra standards that must be reached because your faith in Jesus isn't quite enough. We need to be on our guard against saying that we are saved by grace, but we keep in by works. No, we are saved beginning to end by grace, through faith in Jesus, relying on him.
It's not a case of do this, do that. It's a case of done. Now, rules can be helpful, can't they? There are good rules in life. No diving in at the shallow end. It's a pretty sensible rule. Don't rub your eyes whilst chopping chili seeds. It's a good rule. Don't answer the phone while ironing. It's a good rule to follow. Come on. Look, good rules can help us avoid sin. They can help us avoid danger. Good rules can help us keep good order. But like anything else, they can serve God and his purposes, but they can also serve us, serve to lead us into sin. Okay, I've got a new rule for us now, and I'm going to insist on this rule to the end of the service. No one's allowed to go to the toilet until the end of the service, okay? Just leave that rule hanging there. Now, probably you didn't think you wanted to go to the toilet until I just said... You're not allowed to go to the toilet. All right, I'll, re- I'll re- remove the rule. You can go to the toilet if you really need to join this service. At, at primary school, it was the same kind of thing. In the winter, you weren't allowed on the grass. So what did we all dare each other to do? Go on the grass. Rules appeal to our rebellious, sinful nature. And they give us a, the wrong posture. So instead of a posture that looks towards God saying, you know, God, I'm just so grateful that I'm saved forever, that I've got life in Jesus. I just want to live in ways that please and honor you and let others know how good you are. Instead of that, rules make us sneakily turn our back on God like he's some overbearing schoolmaster and try to get away with as much as we can, fly as close as we can to the wind. And by doing that, we end up demonstrating in our actions, that we think that God isn't good. And when we think we're good at keeping the rules, if that's what we're all about, we'll be proud and we'll look down in judgment on those we think aren't quite so good at keeping the rules. But then if we fail at keeping the rules ourselves, then we despair, self-condemned by our own standards. But when we insist on Jesus, when we insist on relying on Jesus instead of rules, well, we haven't got a shred of superiority or self-righteousness. We know we're sinners saved by grace. So we can be completely humble, genuinely humble, saying, I'm so lost that Jesus had to die to save me. I'm so lost that Jesus had to die to save me. But we can also be completely confident saying, I am so loved that Jesus was glad to die to save me. I'm so loved that Jesus was glad to die to save me. No teaching from any human or anywhere else has got anything on that. So Paul's conclusion about the rules the Colossians had been told to follow by the false teachers. Verse 23, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't work. You know, us humans, we've got a lot to teach one another. And some rules, some ways of doing things can be helpful. But they are never 
foundational. They're never enough to build a life on. We need to keep teachings and rules in their place, never letting them be ours or anyone else's benchmark for being right with God. That belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. That's why what's important is, and we'll look at this more next week, what's important is why we do what we do. From chapter 3, verse 17, if you just flick over there. Chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You wonder why the Colossians were even entertaining this false teaching, don't you? I guess for them, like for us, the everyday can become a bit, well, every day. You know, right now, our church is only eight weeks old. It's fresh, new, it's exciting. But sooner or later, some things, you know, like serving here on a Sunday morning, some bits we'll get used to. And eventually, we might even get a bit over it sometimes. That's when we might be tempted to look elsewhere for some sort of spiritual high. So how do we guard against that? Well, for all of our serving roles here, we've got um, a role description, yeah, like what needs to be done. But more important than that, at the top of it, we've got a sentence or two on how this role is seeking to help meet our broader vision of, of making and growing disciples of Jesus. So however you're serving, in the, t- the teams of people you serve alongside, keep reminding one another, keep encouraging one another and praying about why it is we're doing what we're doing. Help one another stay rooted in Jesus. And I think as we serve together in that way, doing that, we'll experience our serving roles for what they are. Building Jesus' kingdom. Walking in him, deepening our roots in him, one morning tea, one welcome, one pack up, whatever it is at a time. So to sum up, stick with Jesus, knowing who he is and what he's done. Knowing that in him, we have fullness that only he can deliver. Stick with Jesus by returning to his word, relying on him and nothing or no one else. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Amen.